Hello and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. Today, we're going to talk to Hervé Billiot, who is the co-founder and CEO of Ipsum Solar and Ipsum Sunboy. Irv is an electromechanical engineer who co-designed the first Belgian solar car. I want to talk to you more about that way back when he was 21 years old. And then he was also invited by MIT in Boston to advance the sustainable transportation incentives. I'm also interested in talking about that. He went on to design his first residential solar PV system in 2009 using the 2008 National Electrical Code. So this talk here is NEC compliant. And <laughs> and, and we have to talk about that too, because also Hervé is from Europe, but he knows the National Electrical Code. He's not an expert over there designing solar systems in Europe. And another thing is he worked for Accenture and the U.S. Department of Energy as a strategy consultant. That sounds like a kind of a very interesting thing. I can't wait to get to the end of this description of what you do so we can talk about all this interesting stuff and working on some of the largest renewable energy projects in the world. I bet that's getting bigger every day. He's a business partner with Joe Maramati, who we met at the Department of Energy headquarters. Hervé and Joe grew Ipsun Solar from a small local installer to a prominent installer in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, doing both residential and commercial solar and advocacy for solar. And so while they were running a solar business, Hervé saw the need for better software and co-founded Ipsun Sunboy. And we're gonna get into what they do, but they make tools and things, coordinating different types of software and communications together. It's pretty awesome. He also has three boys, so he's good at juggling. He's a CEO and he is fighting climate change. So thanks Hervé. And so we just ended with climate change. Is climate change real? Uh, I think so, Sean. I think so. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, you, oh, you're one of those people that believes in science. <laughs> There's nothing to believe. Yeah. Gravity works every time. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thanks. And some of the things I was thinking about asking you, and we can just turn this into a conversation, however you want. You could take it in any direction you want, but some of the interesting things include the Department of Energy. So under which administration were you at the DOE? I started doing the Obama administration. But interestingly okay. enough, the loans programs office, that's where they receive a ton of fund to be disbursed to innovative and more advanced projects. So that actually got created during the, the previous presidency. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so the loan programs office, I guess you must know Jigger Shaw. He's in your area and that's what he's doing. The loan. Yeah. Program. He's the new director. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. Yep. And so do you know Jigger? Yes, I do. Okay. That's some pretty awesome stuff. Are you still working with the DOE or you're doing, no. you're probably too busy being a CEO? Uh, maybe too, but no, no, I'm not related in any way. But yeah, Jigger is now ahead of that department and doing phenomenal work, uh, really bridging the gap between where banks can finance projects and deals and where the venture capitals and those like risk-taking capital come in and you have a big gap. And so that's what that department is doing, in, you know, staggering amounts of money going to those projects to making a difference. Fantastic. That's, yeah, awesome. So I'm wondering, how do you become a CEO? <laughs> um, you need to wake up one day and say, I'm just going to do it and, uh -huh. and just get started. Just like for people to make the decision to go sore, those people, if they have a home, they need to wake up and say, and today's the day I'm going to finally reach out to a solar company and have them explain to me how it all works. And and they need to start one day. Well, same there. The, you become a CEO just waking up one day. So like, I'm just totally going to do this. <laughs> so. Awesome. 
Yeah. So sometimes like I have a small company, so I could call myself CEO and janitor, but I, you know, I, I don't consider that like a real CEO managing, you know, teams of people and stuff like that. And so let's talk a little bit about Sunvoy. What exactly does Sunvoy do? So as a solar installer, Epson Solar, we needed a better way to manage our customers. So first you're really, really small. And you said you're the CEO and the janitor, like, so was I, like, uh, I literally started in my basement. So during the day, I was selling solar and then in the evenings, designing it and installing it later on. So as a solar company grew from just one customer to two to three to thousands, now we needed a better way to manage those customers. Another problem that we had was to have good sales. Like every salesperson, you can either spin your wheels, trying to talk to people into, hey, you should go solar. Or if you get referrals from your existing customers, they refer their friends and family. And those are the easiest ones to close. It's the nicest conversations to have. So everybody's happy. And that's the best way to run the business. So all those things, like I needed a way to manage my fleet and I needed a better way to get referrals kind of led to like, I need a customer portal. Nothing earth shattering here, but to have a branded customer portal with Ipsum Solar's color and name on it, that just didn't really exist in the solar industry. So we tried different things out, and at some point, like we just build it ourselves. And we started it, and then once we started, we knew from other solar CEOs and friends I'm in contact with that they would like that too. And so we've had the approach, if Ipsum Solar really needs something as an installer that just does not exist, the chance is that other solar CEOs need it too. So from the beginning, we were white label, means that you can put any other solar branded solar installer's name on it, and it would work just, just as well for them. So to answer your, your question, I know I, I took a long time there, but Sunvoy is a customer portal and solar fleet management software. Cool. And so I think a lot of people out there, you know, that have little small solar companies and things like that. We'll just be going like, well, what does that mean? And for looking at your website, I was kind of getting the idea that you're kind of taking a whole bunch of different things and throwing them together. Like you get the maybe the monitoring from the inverter and you had like the logos of things like Enphase and Solar Edge and Huawei and Salesforce and all these different companies. Uh -huh. And then you can throw all that stuff together and then have like a special website. And it looks sort of like Sunrun has a website when people come in. Is that kind of what it is? Or Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. So so Sunrun has their own platform, but Sunrun is, is really big. And so the smaller installers out there, like an Ipsum Solar, we need to have our platforms too, but you cannot just buy it from Sunrun. So the software is now made available for other solar companies to connect, you know, all the inverters, the Enphase and the Solar Edges of the world and the Huawei and everything else. And then you connect whatever CRM you use, being it like a, a Salesforce, a HubSpot, NetSuite, whatever you use, also the smaller CRMs like the Mondays.com and the Asana's and all of that. So you connect all of that and basically display to your own homeowner, your solar customer, you display the information you have in your CRM to them. So as soon as you sell them, they get access to the portal and they kind of see what you sold them. And then they can see the power production once everything's installed. So when people go solar and you sell them, they expect you know solar to be going up and installed quickly. But there's an entire process that takes place, right? Going from the design to the interconnection and permitting. So it takes a little bit of time and showing them different milestones in your app so that people see visually like, oh, those are the steps that will happen to go solar. That visualization actually helps customer relax. It's like, okay, my solar installer 
takes care of me. I go, I receive updates along the way and I'm taking, they hold my hands going through the different steps to go solar. And then in that same app, you show the power production later on. That's that's the goal. Cool. And so if somebody wants your service, so where do they go? Sunvoy.com. Sunvoy. So that's S-U-N-V-O-Y.com. They can go there. And so hey, everybody, go check it out. Sunvoy.com. And then you can coordinate everything together. And so I guess the people that are using your service... Mm-hmm. Are residential or are you doing commercial solar? Probably not utility scale, I guess. No, no utility scale yet. <laughs> so the difference between like the big utility scale and commercial, they have monitoring systems, usually quite expensive, but that exists. What didn't exist is something high volume, something simple for the residential market. Mm-hmm. And by high volume, I mean, every solar company out there sells at different volumes. But the amount of times that we have to enter a homeowner's address and name in different applications is just massive. So we just combine into one so that whatever you put in your CRM, the home address and the name of the customer just flows in. And then we distribute that to wherever that needs to go. If you use Enphase, for example, before you go commission, you need to enter a site. You need to create a site there. If you order an Eagle View, you need to enter the address yet again. So all those different things that are just not just automated. So I came up with a new slogan. I don't know what, what you're going to think of it uh, the other week. It was like for solar installers is like focus on what you do best automate the rest. (laughs) All right. Yeah. 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 Cool. And so they can enter their name once and they don't have to enter it all over the place. And like, you you just enter data, people get lost and doing it over and over again. And they're staying up late at night, waking up early in the morning just to enter the same thing over and over again. So you took care of that problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. And so I also noticed that you are in Washington, D.C. area, and I've done a lot of work out there for grid alternatives. I see that you also done some stuff for grid alternatives, like maybe you were installed for them because they're awesome. Yeah. I went to install on some low-income homes. Yeah. So yeah, it's a real awesome nonprofit over there. In fact, if you need some installers, I've been training some for them over there too, If they're and they're always looking to get them hired. And so over in Washington, D.C., I think they have the best SRECs in the world. Is that right? Like, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you yeah. traveled the world maybe more than me, but uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think they're like they're best out of the country. And maybe next is, you know, you got New Jersey and Massachusetts that are also really great. And then I don't think anything else is really that good. And so what what is it like? I know they they say the SREC is be like $400. That would be 40 cents a kilowatt hour. What uh-huh. Do you know what it is right now, approximately? Yeah, it's around, I think, 400. Yeah, like 360, yeah. something like that. Yeah, something like that. I like to look at that when I'm teaching those grid alternative classes to get people excited. And that's that's awesome. And so the people listening might not understand too much what an SREC is because it's only in a couple of markets. But the utility is required to pay a certain amount. And sometimes it's based on, you know, like supply and demand a little bit, but they're required to pay a certain amount based on the megawatt hour, which is a thousand kilowatt hours. So for every thousand kilowatt hours you make, the utility will give you say 400 bucks for an SREC, solar renewable energy certificate. So it's pretty awesome. It's more than the electricity is worth oh, yeah. in a lot of cases. Yeah. Like I remember when they had SRECs in New Jersey that were, I think they were up there $600, but that was a long time ago when PV was a lot more expensive. Mm. And people were saying, I will give you a barn. I will put solar on it. You can have the electricity. I just want the SRECs. Yeah. <laughs> and so people like all these farmers were getting free barns. So. <laughs> No, it's very true. It's very true. Yeah. And so I just checked the price now. It's 410. So I haven't checked. 410. 
Awesome. So yeah, 41 cents a kilowatt hour. That's great. And so it's such an exciting time and exciting place to be to watch those SRECs and jump into that market. And I guess the big limitation with the Washington DC market is there's only so much space to put solar because it's just a small place, right? Yeah. So so the SRECs may be very, very high, but you also have to know that a lot of the large uh, national players uh, all left the area. So they just don't want to do it anymore. So there's going to be a reason why they all left one after the other. Just if so, some listeners out there so like you know what i always wanted to start a solar company now i'm going to start in dc just so you know there, there are some reasons why a lot of people have left the market so there's more to it than that oh is there something that i don't know i guess it's just hard it's very hard to do business in dc is it hard old, because uh, it's, it's a variation of different stuff one of them is a lot of old roofs that are flat a lot of permitting and just a lot of difficulties that some larger national players just couldn't fit like uh, the regular installation on an asphalt shingle roofs and uh in dc that it's the majority is all flat roofs so yeah i mean i think too it's just not that big there's just not that many available rooftops <laughs> but yeah it's i just i love those s-recs and i know that they're <laughs> They're really good over there. And, and don't worry, we won't tell everybody to move in there and take all your business. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I'm about to find climate change. The more people come uh -huh. here, the, the, you know, they also save my planet. So I'll be totally fine. Uh -huh. Okay. So let's see. Some other things that, that I saw is you were invited by MIT to do something. So what was that? That sounds pretty cool. Well, they, can you get them to invite me too? Uh, I, I'll, I can try. Uh, but so here, here's the story. Here's how you go. So I designed the first Belgium solar car. And we started our own little uh, nonprofit doing that. That's like an organization. And after two years, we built a car. We raced it in Australia. There was a race for solar cars over there every two years. And um, at the end, it's really a lot of university teams that compete. MIT having a lot of resources. It was before the financial crisis in 2008 and nine, or around that time. So they said like, well, instead of all those universities competing with each other, why don't we just bring a few people from each university together in one place so they all just write some white papers and kind of put like a, a first kind of layer, a first standard in place so that other university teams that want to kind of get started, they can use that as a resource. They don't have to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. So they sent an email to a few people and I couldn't believe it. At the time I had a girlfriend in America. So it's like, woo, my ticket to America. Uh -huh. <laughs> so um awesome. Yeah, I jumped uh -huh. on it. Yeah, the solar car thing's very interesting. The question that I get a lot of times too is like, why don't they put solar on the electric car? And I always have to explain, you know, why not to do that. Do you have a good explanation of why you don't go down there and buy an electric car with a couple of solar modules on it and, you know, drive away and never have to charge or. <laughs> if it was that easy, it would already exist, uh, right? Yeah. The way I explain it is solar is a phenomenal, but you, you need a lot of space you need a lot of area you need to put a lot of solar panels together form a lot of power but a car is restricted in space right it's not huge so the amount of energy you can produce you know on a small surface is just small yeah so put the solar on your house and the battery in the car yeah and another thing i mean <laughs> i was i've thought about like what would be the price per watt to put solar on top of an electric vehicle and it would probably be like $100 a watt or something like that. Whereas you could just do it for a lot less on your house and then you charge your car. <laughs> and exactly. then, you know, it, it adds all this weight, slows you down, put it on the house. And then when you're driving down the road, it's not like you're going to be able to tilt your car into the sun. You know, maybe you could, you know, some nice hydraulics there. <laughs> 
I was looking at the car that you guys made. I guess I looked for it. It was like solarteam.be. Is that the right yeah. website there? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I was checking it out. And one of them too, that was really cool. It looked like an outrigger canoe. So it had like all the solar on one side. And then there was like this little bubble thing on the right where the, you know, obviously the driver was. And so I thought that was kind of interesting how you did it. So it was like asymmetrical. Then I was wondering, I was looking at that and I was like, I wonder if they did that because the race, if there was in Australia, maybe then the, where the sun is going to be to the north, maybe they were going from the east to the west and then that way the driver wouldn't shade the solar but then i looked at the map and then i saw that it looks more like they were going from the north to the south so is that not for shading at all the reason that they put it to one side those cars are really built for specific ways and so they also use some of the wind for the majority of the wind that kind of came into play to use that to push oh. the car forward too so it's all types of stuff that every two years a new car gets built and those rules of that race also slightly change every two years and so cars get built according to those rules and, and for that specific race so yeah very creative and i also wonder too like the driver you want a light driver i guess is that right somebody that doesn't weigh much yeah, do you... yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so do you, do you get a jockey you get a retired i actually once did some work for a retired jockey and he wasn't too nice of a guy and i think it was for being on diet pills for his whole life <laughs> so there again the rules change i remember me as an engineer i designed the chassis of the car and the rims i had to design the rims and so we were trying to find where can we you know get one milligram off there and there of the car and then when we were racing the guy literally just drank a lot of water just to step into the car. It's like, why was I spending hours and hours and hours trying to shave <laughs> up a milligram? <laughs> but then the rules have changed. So now you can use a driver, but then you need to add weight to come up to a certain amount of driver weight, so to speak, so that, you know, in the end, the weight of each driver is, is technically the same. Oh, okay. So like if, if the driver weighs more than you could put more car to compensate for it. Yeah, then you need to add some weights to go to a certain amount. I, I forgot the number, uh -huh. but it's like <laughs> let's say it's eighty kilograms. So if your driver weighs weighs sixty kilograms at the beginning of the race, each time that person steps into the car, you give him some twenty kilogram weights on top of it. And so you guys won. You got first place, right? Uh, one year we did. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I always saw that. And then when, today I was checking out that website and I saw that they take volunteers. I was like, that'd be kind of fun if I had 10 days to go take off and, you know, volunteer to go work with solar cars or, you know, work with the race and all that kind of stuff. And I guess you're camping out in the desert and stuff like that. Oh huh? yeah. You camp in the middle of the desert. There's nobody around you for miles. Yeah. It's it's a very strange feeling though. It's rare that in our societies, you're like with nobody around you. So huh. you're just camping out with your team. We were 15 engineers and um, that was it. Uh -huh. And so what kind of solar cells do you use? So each year we rebuild a solar panel, which is kind of a crazy thing. But the solar panel that we built at a time with my car was the first one. We bought a cell that were actually triple junction cells. So they were uh, an efficiency of around 45%. So commercially available what, cells. 45%? They, yeah. Wow. That's like better than what they send to space, right? Yeah, it's like space uh, space cells. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we did like the, the panels ourselves and then you put a coating on top, the encapsulation. We did that and... And we were soldiering the cells ourselves too. So not the most efficient way to spend your time, but but it worked. And so each year, I mean, I was part of a team that built the first car. So when we started, nobody believed that we would do anything. 
uh, it wouldn't go far. The project would totally fail. And then once we actually start seeing that it was actually working, we got some momentum. The university kind of got behind us and, and we got more support. But we were the first one. And quite frankly, when you look at our guard, it was like, okay, it, it drove. It finished the race, but it wasn't the best performance. The team, second team was a lot better. And then after that, um, okay, one team crashed the car, so couldn't really finish the race. But then the team after that, uh, so so we've had like eight or nine competitions now, and uh, we ended up first in the world. So that was that was wow. Ago, so that was wow. Congratulations! So forty five percent efficient solar cells. That's like it sounds almost impossible. Like how much does that cost? Or where where do you get them? Uh, we spent about half a million dollars on building that solar array. So we bought the cells. They came in. We had a manufacturer, also Umicore at the time, that was that was creating those uh, high efficiency cells. And then we did the encapsulation. That we was it was quite some work actually. So is it like gallium arsenide? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's and so that's that brown stuff on the space station. And I bet you at forty five percent efficient, that's better than the space station. Really? I think, yeah. I think, like, have you ever looked at the Spectrolab website? No. I always check that out and they get up to like 40% and it's a Boeing company. And then you need to have like security clearance or something like that to get a price or to talk to them. Like I tried to talk to them and they were just like, leave us alone. (laughs) You need to have security clearance. And so so you spent a half a million dollars and do you know the price per watt? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't, I don't remember the numbers. I mean, it's now like a good 20 years ago. So that project gets gets old. And maybe maybe I'm wrong with the numbers. Maybe it was 40%, not 45 uh, So I need to check on those numbers again. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. That's a pretty efficient car, pretty efficient solar cell. Yeah, so to put it on your house, I'm sure it would cost a lot more than the house, you know, for those people out there that are, that are waiting to get more efficient solar. <laughs> and so let's see, some other things I was just going to ask you about. You're an electrician too? Uh, on paper, yes. Yeah, yeah, sort of like me, like I have an electrical contractor's license in California. We don't have master electricians here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I have it on paper too. And so like, yeah, I took the test and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not out there twisting wire nuts every day, but there's a lot of good people out there that are. And do you find it difficult in these times to find people to do work like electricians and things like that? Like, it seems to me like, I mean, there's, it's different in different areas, of course. And I'm in the Bay area in California and it's like, everything's really expensive because there's just like a labor shortage pretty much, which is, you know, you could look at it one way as a labor shortage. It sounds bad, or you could call it low unemployment, which sounds good, but then (laughs) It's hard to get people. It's like the people that don't have a job really aren't working at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't, maybe people don't realize that, but there is a big shortage of, there's not enough electricians to go wire everything that we need to, to get it all powered, right? Uh, we just spoke about like the car and how you it's not smart to put like the, the solar panels on the car, might as well put the solar panels on your home and charge your car, which is a technology that already exists. But you're right, there's just not enough electricians to go right all up. And the way we do it here is we hire people without uh, experience. Uh, so they're still very young and we train them uh, onto the roof. They work themselves up the ladder, so to speak, uh, quite, quite literally. And then after they've installed on the roof, they come down the ladder and then they do more of the electrical. 
So the entire path that that people kind of go through, and then after electricians, uh, you can get like a job in the office too, uh, become a project mm-hmm. manager. There was a person that that uh, after that became a manager of all the crews, and that person now is a salesperson. So has literally like did, did every possible job uh, at Ibsen store, um, and just learned uh, first day on the job was just like they're installing with the guys. So there are a lot of training possibilities with, with solar companies. It's just uh, for electricians too. Just uh, find the right people that are willing to learn, and it is hard work. It's not easy, but it's it's. I think it's a beautiful job. Yeah. I feel like when yeah. when I'm running, the few times I'm running, just like you, I'm an electrician mainly on paper. But I go I go install with my guys. And I try to go a few times a year. I, I really enjoy the job. It's really nice. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it's got the best views out there. You know, like you're up on top of the top floor. <laughs> Can't get yes. better than that. <laughs> and every day, yeah. Yeah. And so also I see that you're on the board of the Chesapeake Solar and Storage Association. Yes, and, I've been and, there on the board for one week. Oh, great. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and, and I'm on the board of NorCal Solar. It's an ACES chapter. And I was wondering, is Chesapeake Solar and Storage Association an ACES chapter? Or I don't know what an ACES And that's that's American Solar Energy Society. Maybe they aren't. I remember one yeah. time about 15 years ago, I was out and I did a speech for, yeah. it was like an ACES chapter that was had Chesapeake in its name. And so I was wondering if maybe it was the same organization. I remember uh, it was at a yacht club. It was kind of a long time ago. You know, uh, like no, things uh, have changed. Associ- or... Association was called MDVC, so it's a C association. And about a year ago-ish, uh, they changed it to Chesa. So if it's a long time ago, we didn't have a name. Chesa mm-hmm. name has changed about a year ago. Uh-huh. And then where do you meet? In DC or Virginia or... I don't know yet. Uh, I've not uh-huh. been to a board meeting. I just got elected uh-huh. last week. So uh, all right. <laughs> I guess it's all virtual now, but I didn't yeah. ask. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Okay. And then um, is there anything else that you want to talk about? I uh, would love to to hear from you, actually, uh, about the origins of um, the NEC code about rapid shutdown. Like, what, what was the... The initial thinking, why was that important at a time? Because even today, you don't have a lot of fires, so to speak, about solar. You may have a few, but you know it's not not a, not a regular occurrence. So you know, once we have more and more solar, I think it will become more more important to have rapid shutdown. But why having had rapid shutdown in the early days was it like a theoretical exercise? Like, yeah. hey, let's think about this because this may become a problem later on. Did so, somebody yes. misfire something and had to quickly <laughs> fix it? <laughs> No, so the the reason that we have rapid shutdown, there's just one reason, and it's for firefighter safety. So it's not to prevent fires. A lot of times it would prevent fires by the methods that we use, like, say, using a microinverter or a DC to DC converter from SolarEdge, something like that. But it's Uh just to prevent firefighters from getting hurt. And the whole idea is they were concerned that as there's more and more solar out there and houses just burn down, whether they have solar on them or not. And so we're not Uh saying that solar started the fire, but then you have a fire and the firefighter comes up. And if you know any firefighters or you run into them, ask them, just ask the firefighter, go like, what do you do if you see solar on a house? And too often the answer was let it burn. And so that was scary for a lot of people and for the solar industry. And so they came up with rapid shutdown so that firefighters would go up on roofs and save houses without the fear of getting shocked. Because firefighters, they're the one job where you can climb up over six feet without fall protection. And then you spray (laughs) water all over the place, which conducts electricity. And so they were just, they didn't want to get shocked. And so the whole idea is that firefighters don't want to get 
get shocked with regular electricity coming from the utility. They just, you know, shut off the power to the house and they are confident that there's no electricity in the house. And now with solar, they're afraid that they're going to get shocked. And so they'll just kind of stand back. But with rapid shutdown, they see the rapid shutdown sign and like, ah, this house has rapid shutdown. So they initiate rapid shutdown and then they can go and be confident that the solar system is not going to hurt them. Some of them are still a little bit afraid. And we were also concerned, too, that there was going to be insurance rates that were going to go up and things like that that was going to make solar more expensive. And so hopefully rapid shutdown fixed that problem. One example of that, too, is I was on my way to Solar Power International. I was living in the mountains of California at the time. And that was, let's see, I guess that was in the later part or not too much later, but it was, yeah, it was at the end of the summer of 2014. That's the year my eight-year-old was born. And me and my friend went up to climb Mount Whitney. And then we came down and we heard that there was a fire at home, or we heard there was one that was like far away. And then we, everybody was evacuated or just like the wind kicked up It burned 50 square miles. Mm -hmm. And for a few days there, we didn't know that if our house was even standing and the neighbor's house, ended up burning down. He had solar on the roof and our house didn't burn down. We had a ground mount and we obviously had firefighters in there saving our house and, you know, moving things around outside to make it more fire safe. They left us a note there, you know, it was really nice and all that, but perhaps the firefighters would have saved the neighbor's house if they didn't have solar on it. I couldn't tell you, <laughs> but that's just kind of the idea of, you know, why we have that. And also in the United States too, there's a lot of things that are made out of wood, whereas in a lot of other countries, they already cut down those trees a thousand years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, yeah. And so rapid shutdown first was in the 2014 National Electrical Code. And that wasn't where they did a lot of this module level stuff. You, it was a ray level shutdown. And then in the 2017 National Electrical Code, they had a little clause that they said in 2019, by January 2019, you have to be inside of the array. You have to have rapid shutdown. And that's the way that it is until now. There's also a special listing, UL3741, that I did a podcast on, where a company can get something listed to UL3741. And there is this new system that doesn't reduce the voltage in the array. Uh, it's a little bit controversial. And that is SMA got together with Iron Ridge and what's the, another racking company. And then a lot of other, you have to use a certain kind of zip tie and a, a ray tray. And it's, you know, it's a little bit controversial because on a commercial roof now you can have up to a thousand volts on the roof. But I know that you're from Europe too. And then the Europeans laugh at us Americans and go like, you Americans are so silly. And the other thing too, like probably the best argument that I've heard against rapid shutdown too, mm -hmm. is we end up putting electronics under the modules and then we get and solar installers that have to go up there and replace them like say oh microinverter broke you got to go up there and replace it and yeah. so if somebody's going to replace a microinverter is it more work to install fall protection or just to replace the microinverter and so a lot of people are going to be replacing them whether they're supposed to or not without fall protection yeah. because it's you know in a way it's just like it is dangerous to a point to even install fall protection and so that's the danger is not to the firefighters now, but to the people that are fixing these, uh, you know, the electronics up there. And is, you know, as far as the solution, what the solution is, I don't really consider that my job figuring out the solution, but I like to just go out there and, and pose every side of the issue. And so I'm not going to say that, you know, this is a great way or that's a great way or we should or we shouldn't have rapid shutdown. I'll leave that up to people like firefighters and stuff like that. But the firefighters, actually, some of them were wanting to just have microinverters only. 
you know, because microinverters do the anti-alandine and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And so there, I guess I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. And, uh-huh. and I, I changed my mind about like the, the, the need for it. Like um, my, my, my mother in Europe um, went solar after me begging her to go solar for, I don't know, nearly my entire life. And, um, you know, I told her like, you know, just use a uh, string inverter. That's what most people in Europe do. So just use string inverter there. So an SMA got, uh, got, got, got installed. An installer, I didn't know the company, not the guy, but anyway, my mom decided to work with them. And my mom called me one day that there's a fire. It's like, oh, oh. so here's what happened. Sun hits those solar panels with a string inverter. It creates DC power. And then there was a bad connection, kind of like a, um, I call it like a, a line side tap somehow, somewhere. Uh-huh. But it was cardboard really close by. So it started arcing and the cardboard wow. fire and the, the fire got created. But because it's DC power, so you, you, you have like a, a circle loop. You go from the solar panel being energized by the sun, creating power, going down the wire. You have an, an arc, so it goes to the next wire and goes back to the solar panel. And you, you have a closed loop. There is no way to stop that. So you can turn your, your inverter on if you want. You disconnect if you want. But it's not part of that little loop of solar panel arc and going back. So that loop just will keep going. And so I asked my mom, how did you turn the DC power off? Like, it's a closed loop. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> she just janked it. Uh, so the, so that's what happened is like the DC wires kind of crossed each other a little bit and sparked. Yeah. Huh. yeah. That's, yeah. So that's crazy. That's Was there, is, our house, is our house very flammable or like... Is made out of wood or um no it was built i think in the 1200 something like that so, <laughs> it's probably seen plenty of like 100 fires <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it was part of a castle and uh-huh. the size of the wall is like i mean you can stretch your arm and it's larger than that so a very large wall needless uh-huh. to say cell phone reception is pretty bad inside that house um, <laughs> so, so. your mom lives in a castle are you a prince <laughs> you didn't tell me. No, uh, no, it was a part of a castle at some point. So I'm not a prince, don't live in a castle. Uh, well, that's right. I'm glad your mom's okay and uh, you know nothing burned down over there. I like to go out there. I'm probably going to be over at Intersolar in Germany. I'm planning on it. I'm on the committee that judge for the outstanding projects for the Intersolar Awards. And really? Well, they, yeah. And actually, I shouldn't say Intersolar. They keep they change the name, you know, like they're, to include more things. I think you know, I think they call it three E now or something like that. Oh, I missed that memo. No, so yeah. we're gonna be with Sunvo with the, the software. We already uh, have European customers, and so we're gonna be in Germany uh, too. Uh, this oh, time. great! I'll I'll see you there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I have a good friend out over there. I, I met him when he was working for Photon Magazine, and I've just known him for quite a while now, over ten years. And so I I always go out and stay with him near Berlin. And have good times out there. Is the first time I'll be at the Intersolar Tree Eden, you said, or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. How big is it compared to an RE Plus or Intersolar America? You know, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to just like Google it. So we're going to have to change where we said 3E to the smarter E. And so when they call it the smarter E, it includes solar, it includes energy storage, it includes electric vehicles and all that. And but yeah, it's nice. It's over there in Munich. There's a bunch of halls. As far as how big it is compared to RE Plus, maybe it's similar. I know it used to be the biggest one in the world. You know, if you went back 15 years, I'm pretty sure it was the biggest one in the world then. And do you know the biggest one in the world now? It's called SNEC. 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 And it's in Shanghai. 
And I was planning on going until just yesterday, somebody told me that my 10-year China visa won't work right now, probably because the problems with the US and China, and I have to renew it, something like that. But I'm actually, I'm good friends with a person that actually there's an owner of it. So this woman owns this big conference and it's got these 17 halls. It's probably much bigger than all the solar conferences in the world combined. Oh, wow. Yeah, China size, like massive. (laughs) Yeah, it's like just this one conference. And I can remember being out there like, I don't know, probably like 12, 13, 14 years ago and going to different solar shows in China. It was like there was a different show every day. (laughs) <laughs> and this friend of mine, we were like, went to a few of them and it was just like every day there was a different conference and they're like, we need speakers. And they were all competing against each other. And, and obviously my friend um, won the game and she has the biggest solar show. So, wow. uh, and so I, I'm going to try to go out there. That's a pretty good one. Or, you know, just to see how huge something could be. <laughs> but, yeah. but I guess for your business, since you're primarily focusing on residential, I don't think you're going to find a lot of customers that the one in China, you might just with all the networking and stuff, you might run into somebody that's your customer in America. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, I was going to ask you too, that was another question is you're working with all these companies. And so you have to like enter their name and it goes into all the software for all these different companies. Uh Is that difficult to deal with the companies? Like you just, you call up a company and you go like, oh, I want to work with you. And so my software will work with yours. Sometimes do they give you a hard time or? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, you go from people that are very like, oh yeah, yeah, fantastic. Uh, let me know what you need. And and they are just brand new at this and they are open to hearing what we need. And they, they accommodate us to the company that says like, we don't care. Like, we don't want to deal with this. Don't talk to me yeah. anymore. And, yeah. and or the, everything in between. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Probably are like, well, let me talk to these three attorneys and I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's America, right? Like uh, as soon as yeah. you ask for that, it's like, please sign NDAs and all of that. So that's part of it. And sometimes you get access and then, you know, you see the architecture is not super easy to work with some of them have just everything uh, figured out I-, I would guess it's the same with solar companies right some installers everything figured out they install every day no problem and others uh, struggle every day to to get the right amount of panels you said it was 17 panels no why did you install mm-hmm. 16 today so you know it's it, it's the same with uh, with those manufacturers too some of them have open apis that work perfectly great uh, monitored and everything's fine and others for them it's not a priority and the monitoring is not quite there so yeah yeah and another another thing that i was thinking too is like i'm pretty excited about the future of energy management systems, also called uh, power control systems in the 2020 NEC, but they switched it to energy management systems in the 2023 NEC and bi-directional electric vehicle charging. And so how you can use electronics and CTs to monitor the current and control the current. And you could take a hundred amp service and hook up like 500 amps of inverters to it if you wanted to, as long as you can control all that. And that's okay with the National Electrical Code, but there's not really any equipment out there yet or they're just making it, just coming out with it. There's, you know, some other companies that like Span that are trying to jump into that space. And so that would be a pretty cool spot for you to jump into, to, you know, get in on that and be able to like show the monitoring for all these different devices. But, you know, like I said, they haven't made it yet, but I'm sure that's probably something that you're looking into. Yeah, more, more than looking into. Actually, March 21st, we actually launched an integration with an Emporia. So Emporia creates those uh, monitoring platforms where you can actually add CTs to an existing service panel. 
So right now, all customers of Sunvoy can install that hardware and you offer them your homeowner, you offer them circuit level monitoring just on top of their solar production. So they can see all that in the app. So we finished integration. It's beautiful. We haven't even shown it to Emporia yet. So can you spell that again? What was the name of the company? Emporia. E-M-P-O-R-I-A. Okay. And then we are working on integration with Lumen. Lumen is similar to Span. Yeah, Lumen. I was going to mention that. Yeah. 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 But so they are changing the API drastically. So we're not going to integrate now. We're going to wait for a month until that's done. Yeah. That's the next one. So those integrations, others power monitoring and, and controlling systems are coming up rapidly. And so that was part of our grand vision to integrate that into Sunvoy and it's done. So it's only more that's going to come our way. Plus, I'm not even aware about everything that, that exists in China. It's going to be a bunch that already exists there. So we're going to integrate with a whole bunch of them here. Great, great. So let's see, is it a good time to finish it off or do we got anything else? No, I mean, I can keep talking about so all day long. Um, no, I think I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, love this. Yeah, and if you, we could always do this again too, you know, whatever you want. Kind of. Can I take you up on that? I mean, you have such a wealth of, of information mm-hmm. and knowledge and experience. I'd love to ask you more questions, <laughs> actually. So maybe we do yeah. the next podcast is interview the podcaster. So what about Yeah, that's that? fine. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people ask me to be on their podcast and I say, as long as I could post it. And then, you know, because I'm like so busy, it's kind of hard to keep up doing podcasts. I was like trying to do it once a week for a while. And then now actually I have a couple that are backed up. So I have like some extra time. And another thing that's kind of funny mm-hmm. is right about the same time that you guys asked me to do this interview, another company approached me. It's like for some thin film manufacturer. And it was like some PR firm that they found me. So I'm going to do another one tomorrow. <laughs> so it's like CEO week. Can <laughs> uh, <laughs> I? I also just thank you, Sean, for, for everything you've done for the solar industry. I don't think enough people thank you. You've, you've been such instrumental with, with, with NAPSEP, all the training that you've provided, people that you provide, even like green alternatives, uh, that well, they, they get jobs out of what you teach. So thank you for all those years and hours of, of training and uh, for, for the solar industry. So thank you. Oh, wow. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks for that. So I guess I'll just about ready to sign off. Let's see. Oh yeah. One more thing. So how do people find you or see what you're up to? What kind of information would you like to give out? Um, maybe just the general website. It's sunvoy.com, S-U-N-V-O-Y.com. Follow us on LinkedIn or Ipsen Solar. That's a solar company. Although that's very, very local. That's just if you if you live in the in the DC area. But yeah, Sunvoy is the Sunvoy.com, the, the website. And you said LinkedIn to find you? Mm-hmm. Yep. How do they find you on LinkedIn? Uh you need to be able to spell my name. It's uh just like you hear it. <laughs> it's uh H E R V E. Okay. All right. So yeah, H E R V E B I L L I E T. And so we'll have some notes for the podcast. We'll put that in there. So thanks, Hervé Billiot, for being on the podcast. And thanks for listening to Sean White. Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. To find more about solar, solar education, or anything else, you can go to solarsean.com.